was a wonderful uh, occasion when we heard that Craig had come to know the Lord. And Craig is now going to come and just share a little bit with us. So come on ahead, Craig. I'm going down there. Swap places with you. <laughs> At least if I faint, I'm falling safely into the water. <laughs> um, hello, good evening everybody. Um, how exciting and terrifying it is to stand up here again with an opportunity to share with you on this evening of celebration. It's a real privilege and I hope you all enjoy the evening as much as I intend to. Uh, in preparing for tonight, tonight Jeff asked me to talk for roughly seven minutes. Um, now, anyone who knows me appreciates that I like a good yarn, and I could quite happily stand here and talk about my faith, baptism, the Holy Spirit, and share my testimony for several hours. But you'll be glad to know LA has been sat this week with a stopwatch and a red ballpoint pen to help me condense what I want to say. So when you're having a cup of tea at half seven and not listen to me yarn, it's her you need to thank. Um, tonight is an evening I've been really looking forward to. I'm not going to pretend I'm not terrified and slightly nervous. And not just about Nigel and Patrick dropping me, um, but I do understand the significance and importance of doing this. And I do feel blessed to be able to stand up here and get baptised with friends and family to support me. Sorry. <laughs> um, I promised Brian I wouldn't do this as well, so I apologise. <laughs> um, since accepting Christ and becoming a Christian last September... I've been slowly but surely telling more and more of my friends and family about my choice to step out into faith and about how God became real in my life. Now, telling people we love about the wonder of salvation is something we are commanded to do, but it's actually quite difficult, even just talking here, you can see it's, some, you know, it's not easy. Um, and each and every time I've found the right opportunity to talk about it with a close friend or someone in my family, I've found myself, just like now, getting very emotional and quote choked up, which wasn't how I expected to feel. I'm not sure if it's simply because of the reality and magnitude of making a commitment to God or the raw honesty needed to have those talks with people who haven't yet come to faith or simply the sense of relief that I've had a proper conversation with someone I care about and haven't fallen out with me, at least not yet. Um, it's likely a mix of it all, but the whole experience has been a bit of a roller coaster, filled with joy, trepidation and deep emotion. You just don't know how people are going to react and you actually can't predict how you yourself will act or feel either. Um, the reality of my situation is this. Outside of this fellowship, I don't have any close friends who are Christians. In my friendship and social cir circles, the attitudes towards faith, particularly Christian faith, is usually full of scepticism, mockery, bewilderment, confusion, and predetermined judgment. I'm sure many of you here know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, admittedly, I shared some of these opinions, um, mostly confusion, but, and this is the crucial part for me, I wasn't doing anything about it. I could have, at any point, done some research, asked some questions, read the Bible, or even prayed more. But usually I'd just kick it down the road or outright dismiss Christianity as nonsense. Um, this was without any real evidence or argument to back up my claims. I'd generally just regurgitate someone else's wishy-washy opinion or just defend it by saying, science. Um, I found this was easier and quicker than having to do any real soul-searching or real thinking. If I'm being honest, I was simply far too busy focusing on anything else and gave zero attention to the countless signposts that God would put in front of me. I would shut my eyes to the truth of my immortality, 
and I would effectively put my fingers in me like a child until the bad thoughts went away. And uh, some of you may not believe me when I say this, but I'm actually a bit of a people pleaser too. Shocking, I know. Um, I don't particularly like confrontation, and I always try to look objectively at situations from everyone's perspectives to try and find a balanced and rational approach. Um, being shaped this way, and some of you might relate to this, why would I, guy from Wolverhampton, ever try and have a conversation about something as socially controversial as faith with my mates running down the pub? All that would do is lead to a game of who can voice their divisive, ill-researched and obnoxious opinion the loudest. In my head, it could just do more harm than good. It's much simpler to play it safe and talk about how the walls were doing, or the next concert we're going to go to, or which celebrity we'd like to take out for an eye on the town. I found it much easier to find meaning in activities that kept me distracted, and far more comfortable to focus on things that society says are important and will lead to a better life. Wealth, luxury, a bigger house, fancier food, more exotic destinations, or more friends on Facebook. I'm sure you'll all agree that sometimes the pursuit of material, secular things can take over your thinking and keep you from the truly important things in life. But I did know there was something. I described my past position to Jeff as being trapped in agnostic hell. There was work to be done, there was questions I wanted answers to, but I was too busy burying my head in the sand to get started, even though I knew, when I was honest with myself, that God was trying to get my attention. You'll be glad to hear that he eventually did, and he did know exactly the right way to get my particular attention. At the age of 25, I bumped into the most amazing, beautiful woman I ever met. Um, it was just a shame I couldn't understand a single word she said. <laughs> she kept talking about things like parshars, brown cows, and some, some crisps called Tato. But I didn't care. I was head over heels in love, and I still am. Um, people like my mum and dad here will testify that after years of being distracted, Leslie Ann quickly became my biggest distraction of all, and it was amazing. Might be longer than seven minutes, Jeff, sorry. <laughs> um, I'd finally met someone who I could be open with without the fear of being judged, or the fear of sounding like a complete wally. <laughs> Effectively, God had won. <laughs> he had answered my desperate, agnostic prayers where I'd pray to be shown his truth. He blessed me with a partner who I felt at ease with talking about spirituality, especially as she had been on and was on her own journey of faith. She would also, on trips to Belfast, visit a slightly smelly, murky hall above some local shops <laughs> where the people of Castlereagh Fellowship would meet. <laughs> and luckily for me, she invited me along and I got to meet many of you lovely folks that are here tonight. Um, that was back in February 2009, so that was just over 14 years ago. So why is it taking me so long? I know, you never thought you'd know me for that long. So why is it taking me so long to arrive here today? So as a child, I went to a Church of England village school. I heard the stories, I learned the prayers, and I thoroughly enjoyed being a shepherd in the nativity at Christmas. But that was as far as my biblical knowledge went. In high school, I attended my religious studies class looking at global faiths, but I wasn't really interested. I went because I had to, like so many other people. At the age of 16, after I did my GCSE, that was it. The space in my brain that had been previously given to religion was quickly dented out and filled with songs by Blink-182, drum lessons, and an obsession with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Pious, I was not. I accepted there was probably something bigger that I should examine, but that could wait, because after all, Family Guy was about to start. So, nine years after that, when God finally helped me to pull my head out of the sand, I was effectively starting blind. I had no idea about a personal faith in Jesus Christ. 
I had no idea what the Bible really was all about. I knew some of the what, I was sceptical about the how, and I was completely clueless about the why. Around this time, I also had a highly inflated opinion of myself. My head wasn't so much in the sand as it was up my own crumpet. Um, For years, friends, people at work, even the odd stranger would tell me how great I was. What a nice guy he is. And foolishly, I believe the hype. Get me, I'm great. Um, So you can imagine, for a people-pleasing narcissist like myself, with an ego the size of Calcutta, accepting that I wasn't all that, and in fact I was a great big dirty sinner, took a long time for me to accept. Me? A sinner? I'm a stand-up guy. I don't steal. I only tell white lies, and I often give £20 to children in need. Could I really be a sinner? Spoiler alert, the answer is yes. My view of being good fell far short of the bar. Does any of this sound familiar? Unfortunately, as well as being a sinner, I'm also a bit of a cynic who likes to have all the answers. As I'm sure many of you can sympathise that with faith, every question you celebrate finding a satisfactory answer to opens up two more even trickier questions. I liken it to whack-a-mole at the arcade in Newcastle. You knock one down and here's two more that are going to melt your brain. Um, It's tough. The reality is that in this mortal life, I'm never going to have all the answers. But over the last 14 years, I've spent a lot of time, especially over the last five years, reading, questioning, listening, talking, deliberating and praying. Many of you in this room have come around for dinner or been around for dinner and talked. And it's, been, it's been wonderful. But I've come to the point today where I only have the three answers I need and effectively everything else I see is academic. One, I believe in creation and I believe that we're all created by God in God's own image. We are only here because of his grace and his mercy. Two, I am a sinner living in a broken world. We continue to feed the black wolf inside of us, even though we know we shouldn't. We make poor choices rather than living to God's world and standard. If we hadn't chosen sin, we'd all be in a much better place, and being ignorant of the fact is no longer an excuse for me. Three, Jesus is the Lord. He was crucified on the cross to atone for our sins, and he was resurrected three days later. I've looked, I've researched, and the evidence is there. It happened. The Bible clearly says that he is the only way to reconnect to God, our creator. So you better believe I'm going to follow him. And I would suggest you all do too. In John chapter 3 verse 5, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. And that's why I'm here today. Much later than I should have been, but I am now choosing to listen, choosing to get my head out of the sand, and choosing to become a new creation in Christ. I am repenting for my sins. I'm asking for forgiveness and I'm thanking Jesus for the sacrifice he made when he died on the cross for all of us. Romans chapter 5 verse 2 states, Through faith in Jesus we have received God's grace. In that grace we stand. We are full of joy because we expect to share in God's glory. And to that I say, Amen. Amen. It definitely is one of the greatest joys in Christian ministry to be in a context like this tonight where we really do celebrate God's grace. And it's my task over the next few minutes to offer you a biblical explanation for what we are about to witness. I don't know where you are coming from, but increasingly as things move on as a society, this must appear more and more bizarre because in a few moments two individuals are going to walk with their clothes on down steps into a tank of water and they're going to allow 
someone to take them and hold them under that water for no more than 20 seconds and then bring them up again. And I know what's in that tank. Lord Attenborough wouldn't get in there. <clears throat> no, I didn't, you know, it, it must appear a bit strange, but I hope, this is my prayer for this evening, that come the end of tonight, as you leave this building, you get baptism. You know what it's about. You know what it symbolizes. And the amazing truth that it communicates to us. So look, our authority for this, it's not what a few guys think. It's not even what a particular church says or an ancient creed says. Our authority must be the word of God itself. So I'm going to read to you from two different places in God's word. The longer reading is Romans chapter 6, which is Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christians, his brothers and sisters at Rome. And then we're going to read just one verse, a further verse from the Apostle Paul again to the believers in the region of Galatia. Now, I tell you, this is quite a dense reading. There's quite a bit going on in this. But don't miss the wood for the trees. Just listen, and then we will hopefully make some helpful remarks about it. So Paul begins this way in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, writing to his fellow Christians. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? So that grace may increase. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God in the same way. Count yourselves. Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him As an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Because you are not under law. But under grace. And now just one verse. Which in many ways. All that truth of Romans 6. Is sort of compressed. Into this statement of the apostle Paul. And when Paul is speaking here, he is speaking representatively. He is speaking on behalf of all Christians of all time. This is what is true of us. He says this in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Amen. Baptism is referred to many times in the New Testament, about 50 times. You see, when I see someone come to know the Lord... I don't mention baptism to them immediately. You know why? Because if they're reading the Bible, the Lord will mention baptism to them. A blind man could not miss baptism in the New Testament. I'm going to share with you tonight three words that help us, bring us to the core of the issue. What is this about What is it that Margot and Craig are doing tonight? Three words. Number one, obedience. Baptism is to be understood, biblically speaking, as a step of obedience. Number two, identification. Baptism is to be understood as a mark of identification. And thirdly, celebration. Baptism is to be understood as an act of celebration. Obedience, identification, and celebration. Let me take obedience first. Baptism is not a suggestion, it's not a proposal. It's not a recommendation. It is a command. It's an obligation. Not an option. Perhaps some of the most famous words of Jesus at all. Of all that we call the great commission. He has risen from the dead. He is at the point of returning to his father in heaven. He gathers his disciples around him. And he gives them the great commission. This is what you are to do in my bodily absence. 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. And teaching them, making disciples, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Do you know, we are at no more liberty to take out the baptizing bit than we are to take out the going and the making disciples and the teaching to obey all that he said. We're not at liberty to do that. Baptism is part of the mandate of the church of Jesus Christ, all who follow him. And that's why when you come to the book of Acts in the New Testament, which maps out for us what the followers of Jesus did with that commission, what do we read again and again and again and again? People believed in Jesus for salvation and they were <coughs> baptised. I always say this on these occasions. Here's a challenge for every Christian. Find an unbaptised believer in the New Testament after the, New, after the Great Commission. Spoiler alert, you won't find one. The New Testament does not envisage a Christian who is not baptised. So tonight is about obedience. And as a result, it is something that the Lord Jesus himself takes personal delight in. In the lives of his people. Because he said clearly in John 15 verse 13. He said to his followers. If you love me. You will obey what I command. For Jesus. You cannot separate love. For him. From obedience to him. You can't do it. So. First things first, biblically speaking, baptism is a step of obedience in the life of Craig and Margot. Secondly, baptism is a mark of identification. And we need to be really careful with that. <coughs> baptism marks disciples. It doesn't make them. Baptism is a public act of witness. It is a formal expression of our Christian profession. The Apostle Peter takes this up in his first letter. In 1 Peter 3 verse 21 he says this. Baptism. This is worth listening to. Baptism is the pledge or the, the answer or the formal response of a good conscience towards God. This is the pledge, the response, the formal response of a good conscience before God. 
Peter's actually using a legal term there. You see, in baptism, a sinner, as we've heard tonight, a sinner is saying to God, to God and to a watching world, I have taken Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I am saved from the wrath of God in and through Jesus Christ. And I'm now declaring in public (coughs) what I've already decided in private. I've already entrusted myself to Christ. But now I'm going to own my Lord. I'm going to say before him and before the world, I belong to you and you have pledged yourself to me. Do you know, we do, this, we do the same thing when it comes to marriage. I mean, in the fellowship here in the last week or so, we've been rejoicing with the news that, that Paul and Caris are, to, are getting married. Caris made an absolute fool of herself in Paris. She cried and got on and Paul just gave in and said he would. But fast forward in time. You know, Paul and Caris are going to stand at a very formal setting. And each of them is going to be asked the question publicly. You know, will you take this man to be your husband? Will you take this girl to be your... That's not, that's not, they're not going to turn around and go, What? That's the first time I've heard that question. You see, that's what marriage is. The marriage ceremony declares in public, goes public with what has already been decided in private. That's what baptism is. The folks who are being baptized tonight are ratifying their faith in that way. They're being, you know, they're marking themselves out They're declaring to whom they belong. This is an identity marker. It's a pinning of colors to the mast. Margot and Craig are saying publicly tonight, I am under new management. I'm under the management of Christ. And I know sometimes believers are a bit late in catching up, Margot. You know, sometimes it takes time. Craig... But in the New Testament, baptism is set at the threshold of a new life. That's where it's set for obvious reasons. Baptism is a step of obedience. Baptism is a mark of identification. And thirdly, and gloriously, baptism is an act of celebration. And you see if we understand What the Bible teaches in this regard. Do you know it will clear up a lot of the confusion. That has grown up around baptism. Namely it will tell us who should be baptised. And it will tell us how a Christian should be baptised. Baptism is a symbol folks. It does not change the person who submits to it. There's nothing in this event or in the element, the water, that produces an inward change. 
Nothing. In fact, if that inward change has not taken place before the symbol, it just drains it of all meaning and significance. Baptism pictures what has happened to the believer. It doesn't perform it. And we read that together in Romans 6. Here's what baptism symbolizes for a believer. Becoming a Christian is not getting a new start in life. It's getting a new life to start. Now that's not just trying to be smart with words. There's actually the most profound truth in there. A Christian isn't someone who's been patched up, who's turned over a new leaf, who's sort of a reformed character. It's the old you souped up, patched up. No. A Christian is someone who has received life from outside of themselves. Life, the life of Christ himself. You see, according to Romans 6, God says three things to a sinner who has entrusted himself or herself to Jesus Christ. Number one, Christ's death is your death. The sentence of God's holy law, which condemns every one of us as sinners, has been carried out upon you. Through your faith union with Jesus Christ. I do laugh but every so often. Maybe a young believer will say. I don't know if I should get baptised. I'm not sure I'm good enough. My response is always the same. I'm concerned you're not bad enough. Do you agree with God. That the only thing a holy God could do with you. Was dispatch you to the grave. But in his grace. You meet that in Christ. With Christ. Because not only is Christ's death your death. God says Christ's burial. Is your burial. In the sight of God. As far as God is concerned. The old Craig. The old Margot. Has gone. Is Finished with. And is so eternally. And not surprisingly. Because we do allow the people to come up out of the water. The third thing is that Christ's resurrection. Is your resurrection. You share his risen life. You are a new creation in Christ. This is what Paul was saying in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. That sounds terminal, doesn't it? And I no longer live. But what does he say next? But Christ lives in me. I've died with Christ. But you know what? I'm alive with Christ. And the life I now live in this body now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself For me. God has given the Christian. New life in Jesus Christ. And that's what's going to be set forth. Symbolically tonight. That's why tonight's a celebration folks. 
We're celebrating that the penalty of sin has been met with your death with Christ. And the power of sin, the reign of sin, the mastery of sin has been broken through your resurrection with Christ. You've got a new life. And that's why Paul says then that we are to offer ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. We have a new life to start. And can I say, only believers who have experienced the reality of this new birth and have received this new life can go forward for baptism. Only baptism by immersion adequately demonstrates the spiritual truth of death, burial, and resurrection. The symbol expresses the the reality. So tonight, folks, is a celebration of new life in Christ. Um, Do you know what the truly marvelous thing is? That new life in Christ is freely available to everyone who's in this building tonight. God has no favorites. His salvation is all of grace. It's not earned. Christ died for you. And Christ is willing and able to save you if you will come to him on his terms. And those terms are repentance for your sin, owning it, wanting to be free of it, and placing all your faith, handing yourself over to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you do that, you'll receive that life with God that outlasts the years that you have in this world. So as the individuals go through the waters of baptism tonight, remember this. It is a step of obedience in their lives. It is a mark of identification. They are saying to the world, I belong to Jesus. And it is an act of celebration. This is what God has done for us in Christ. His death is our death so that his resurrection can be our new life. Margot, upon confession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour and Lord, I now baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Upon confession of your faith in Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord, I now baptise you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. 
For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlewayfellowship.com. God bless.